Hello, everyone, and welcome to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. I'm Paul Matthew Carr. I provide 50% of your required hosting duties. The other half, <laughs> the other half, as always, comes from the one, the only, Professor David Hicks. Hi, Paul. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back to you. Uh, joining us today is a very special guest. She is the author of both fiction and nonfiction, whose work has appeared in numerous publications. She is the author of the best-selling Doing Business by the Book, How to Craft a Crowd-Pleasing Book, and attract more clients and speaking engagements than you ever thought possible, as well as the debut novel, All I Need to Get By. Please welcome Sophronia Scott. Thank you, Paul. Hi, David. Hi, Sophronia. Nice to be here with you. I'm happy to be here. Yes, thank you for being here. Now, the primary focus of this program is the craft and process of writing. Uh, the idea being that getting to know the methods and habits of other writers will inform your own writing and your own habits and get people to think critically about that process. Not to mention it's very interesting to talk about. But before I get into specifics, I want to know a little bit more about you. So first of all, is there anything you're working on right now that you'd like to share with? Well, right now my next novel is actually in production. So I've been going back and forth with my editor and agent on edits, and uh, now we're in copy editing and cover design. Uh, that novel is called Unforgivable Love. And it's coming out from uh, William Morrow, which was an imprint of HarperCollins. It's coming out September 26th, 2017. Oh, wow. So congratulations. Out. Thank great. you. Yes, it's yeah. coming up. It's exciting. And uh, I also have an essay collection that is going to be published by Ohio State University Press. And hopefully, I don't have a pub date for that yet, but that'll come out probably in the, um, I'm guessing, 2018. And, uh, okay. and I also have a spiritual memoir that's under contract with Paraclete Press. So that's the manuscript that I'm working on right now because that's due um, in the spring. Okay. Can I ask what a spiritual memoir is? This particular book is about raising a child of faith in a secular world. So it is about these past five years, uh, which is when I started uh, taking my son to church and we became Episcopalians. And it's about um, shaping, helping to shape his spiritual life and how that journey changed my spiritual life as well. That's fantastic. So. So three books coming out in about a year and a half? Probably, yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank wonderful. you. Yeah. It's really cool. That's great. So talk to me. What is your typical writing day? Can you walk me through your typical writing day, and how does that work? Okay. So with my typical writing day, well, begins first getting my son off to school. You know, my, <laughs> my husband leaves really early because he's a teacher, and so he's out the door first, and then... You know, I have to get my son up and, and out, and he is generally, um, well, the bus leaves at 6.30, so he's on wow. the bus at 6.30 and gone. <laughs> that's insanely early. <laughs> yes, it is. That's, that's the life of a middle though. school student. <laughs> yeah, so that gives me time to actually work out. So I really try to work out before meeting up with my writing pal, David. So, um, so uh, David and I generally start working sometime between uh, 9 and 10 a.m. And what I mean by that is uh, David is on Google Hangouts. So we will call each other up and see each other on screen and say, hey, how you doing? What are you working on? Mm -hmm. And uh, we talk a little bit about what we're doing and then we start writing. But David stays on the screen and it's like sharing an uh -huh. office, but yeah. we're there just you know, <laughs> typing away. <laughs> and um, That's right, this David. Yeah, David Hicks. <laughs> David this is her Hicks. writing buddy. Yeah. She's and, my writing buddy. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and we generally do that at least three times a week. So... Uh, so when I'm writing with David, it's generally, uh, that will take up my morning. 
and depending on the day, a little bit into the afternoon. But I generally try to stop working between 12 and 1. I will admit, sometimes David will have to remind me, I don't eat lunch sometimes because <laughs> I'm just in there. I'm, if I'm really into something, I will keep going. And David's like, oh, can I get something to eat, Sue? Because oh, I, because I, I, I'm two hours behind you. Yes. <laughs> so I get hungry and I eat lunch, and I'm like, you haven't eaten lunch yet. It's two o'clock over there. <laughs> no, um, because yeah, my son's bus will come back at at two twenty, two thirty, and I'm generally with the mindset that I'm trying to get everything mm-hmm. done that um that I wouldn't be able to get done before he gets home. So mm-hmm. I try to do other work, you know, volunteer work or things that I have to write. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, connected to church or whatever before he comes home uh, or in the afternoon or while he's at home. That's stuff I can do while he's there. It's so generally, true. I'm in the morning. If I don't write in the morning, it's not going to happen. Hmm. It's true that we kind of get dehydrated and, you know, tough it out and you get zeroed in, right? So we just, <laughs> yeah. we keep at it and it's it's really inspiring. But it is, you know, sometimes I'll just say to Sophronia, I, I think I better walk my dog because my dog is just like glaring <laughs> at me. Like, you haven't walked me yet. So, you know, but but there is this kind of commitment to it that I, I always want to honor by, you know, sitting in the chair. She's there ha- having at it. You know, she's working really hard. And I had planned on maybe writing one or two hours, but sometimes I just stay because there's, there's my friend writing. And I, I've got a lot of writing to do, too. And so sometimes, you know, I'll cancel appointments and I'll just That's great stay, motivation stay in to the have chair. somebody else there. It is. Yeah. Along. Yeah. yeah. Because I know from... My own self, I can I can find every excuse in the world to exactly. do something else. Yes, yeah. yeah. And what's great about it is, you know, we were just talking about how there are some writers who have to do like two thousand words a day or five thousand words mm-hmm. a day, and it's great in that David and I don't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're both project driven people. So I'm going to work on this chapter today, and I'm going to keep going until I've written this chapter, mm-hmm. or I've written this article, or I've written, um, or at least written a certain portion of this essay. Essays don't always come that easily. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I I'm usually and maybe it comes from my past as being a journalist. You know, I sit very well to task, I, I guess you could say. But um, but yeah, I will sit and work through things until the project's done. Yeah, it was just on our first podcast. We were talking to Peter Heller, who has a very a very set ritual every morning, and it really works for him uh, because he has a certain amount of words he writes every morning, and then stops, and yeah. then stops no matter what. If it's the middle of a sentence, he'll just stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I can't do. Yeah. I can't do. I, I really admire, and and it works for him, right? He's he's cranking out really good books. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I I have this full time job as as a professor, and I uh, I need to do work. But on the mornings I have to write, I want to get out as much as I can. And, and even like if I'm at an airport or if I'm waiting somewhere, I'll just if I can get some writing in, I'll get it in. And so to have the company of Sophronia, whose whose work I admire too, like this is not just you know a writing buddy. And I read her work and I like her work. So it inspires me to stay to stay in the game. So when you're writing, does it energize you? Does it, you know, wake you up or does it exhaust you and you're just done? It depends on what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Essays, especially if I'm doing something emotional, can be exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, and again, David has been witness to that. Sometimes he'll see me crying through something, you know, on the, while I'm working through something on the page. Um, I don't think of, but I don't think of, tend to think of my work as draining, you know. Yeah. It's more cathartic. I, I don't work that energy like that. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe this is from my being a journalist. I'm, I'm very matter of fact about things. I like to be excited by what I'm writing. 
and mm-hmm. and that's the thing that I like about the the Unforgivable Love that novel is that even now reading through copy edits and having read this book through you know again and again and again I still get excited reading this story and that's how I know I got a good story it's like, oh yes this is fun <laughs> this is fun <laughs> you know so I want that I'm, I want to be excited about what I'm writing so where this is something that fascinates me is is how writers and artists in general find their inspiration mm. or uh, like we, we talked to Peter Heller he says there is no such thing he's an inspiration agnostic I guess uh, but how about yourself do you do you go places do you have a habit or, or things that you read that yeah. pushes you to yeah. come up with ideas um, I like to take what I call creativity play dates so <laughs> to go hang out in museums mm. right and and just to to take in colors and, and the art of others and that mm. inspires me you know um, I love watching certain movies over and over again because there's they're inspiring to me um, but mm. sometimes I don't even realize that I'm there's something about the story that I might end up writing about and that's what happened with unforgivable love because um, unforgivable love is a retelling of dangerous liaisons and I started, um, I first saw the movie with Glenn Close and John Malkovich when it first came out in the, the late 80s. And it was, it's been on my mind for years. And I, I own that movie. And <laughs> over the years, I've seen various versions of it. So the story has obviously held a fascination for me, even though I, I didn't know why. And Cruel Intentions, which is also a version of Dangerous Liaisons, um, there came a time a few years ago when it was on cable. And it was, you know, when something's on cable, they run it again and again and again, like on Cinemax. And I have a TV in my office. Like, my office is kind of like a dual um, setup. Like, there's my office with my desk and such. And then the other part of the room is a library. So there's, like, French doors opening up into this room that we have. It's a library with bookshelves. And I have a TV in there. And sometimes I will have the movie, a movie running just to keep me company if David's not there. Like, I have, like, voices just there. Hmm. And for a while, I had Cruel Intentions constantly running in my office. And my husband would come in and say, you're watching that again? And one day I said, you know, I think I'm going to write something. <laughs> you know? Mm. And, um, and when I finally did start writing something, it, it occurred to me that there's obviously a bee in my bonnet about this story. There are aspects of this story that, that I want to talk about. And it occurred to me um, when a friend said, uh, my friend Jenny said, Somebody should write that story with an African-American cast. It just, light bulb went off. I can do that. <laughs> I, I know exactly what it's going to be like. And it's going to be in Harlem. And it's going to be in the 1940s. And, and, and it just grew from there. So, you know, if you have inspiration, you don't know. I mean, is that inspiration or is, is that something that I was cultivating for years without realizing it? Well, is, you know? that's, that's a question right there. Does, yeah. Is inspiration spontaneous or yeah. is inspiration cultivated? Yeah. Uh, you know. you know, I know for myself, when I need to come up with an idea, I'll just walk out because yeah, I live out in the hills so I can go in the, and go on a hike yeah. and just clear my mind, look at other things, and then something will come to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just know that will happen. Mm-hmm. Now, is that just me making that happen or is it the environment? Yeah, things get in your subconscious, right? Whether yeah. they're uh, childhood events or, or ideas mm-hmm. or a movie. Yeah. Uh, and it'll just percolate whether you know it or not. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's deliberate. You were cultivating that by playing the movie over and over or whatever it could be. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then it came out. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but you have to take that stuff. You, you have to let it come in in order to have right. something come out. So you have to be consuming things. You have to be constantly reading. 
Um, I tell my students that constantly. You have to read, um, if only to remind yourself of what's possible with the language, right? To to get inspired by the way a writer uh, creates a sentence, right? To to look at what's possible in terms of story structure, just to look at what other people are doing. You know, I um, in my first novel there was a complicated, you know, it's one of those stories that go back and forth in time, like you have a present day storyline and a past storyline. And, you know, I'd never written a novel before. I wasn't quite sure about how, what can I get away with? How is this going to work? Well, it occurred to me, I'd recently read The Prince of Tides, right, by Pat Conroy, and that's a book that does that and does it well. Mm -hmm. So not only did I reread that book, I, I essentially tore it apart. I, I made this whole um, map of how many, like each chapter, when is he in the past? When is he in the present? How, how many chapters does he give each space? What exactly happens mm -hmm. in the past and in the present? How does he keep this story moving along? Mm -hmm. Tension in both sets of time. And so I used that initial chart to, to just make the initial plotting of outline for my novel. And even though that changed as the, the novel progressed, it gave me something to start with. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't read enough, I wouldn't have even known that, that I could go there for a template. So you're reading, but you're also reading as a writer. Exactly. You're saying, yeah. okay, how did he do that to me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's the structure here, and 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 picking it apart and reconstructing in your own way, but you're you're it's sort of imitation. It's also learning from it and yes. it's embodying it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you start a story, do you begin that well, you had the outline, mm -hmm. but do you begin with the characters first, or do you begin with the place? You know, with um with unforgivable love. Uh, you know, as I said, I knew I had that setting and the time, but then it is about the characters. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to name them. I have to understand who they are and, you know, walking around. And it's almost, it's almost like, a, like playing with paper dolls when you're, when I was a kid. I kind of have to, to take this, this little person and put a hat on them and shoes and how, how do they dress? And then to, um, how do I make them walk around and what do they walk like and what do they sound like? And, you know, even if I even if I don't know everything about them yet, I need at least a beginning to mm -hmm. start getting this person moving around in space and, and then interacting with another person. Um, I'm in that in that pl place again because I'm starting my next novel, and you know, I tend to forget. You know, you work so long in a novel, and then it's like, oh, I'm back at the beginning. <laughs> I have to name all these people uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do this. But but this is the place, and so I'm right now. I'm still at those beginning stages of giving these characters names and and understanding their relationships to each other, and just getting them to talk to each other and seeing how, you know, just to get the story moving. Mm -hmm. So to me, it always starts with the characters. So what, uh, and I mean this almost like I mean it intellectually, but also kind of physically. Like what what's the difference when you're starting a work of fiction versus a work of nonfiction? It seemed like very two very different processes for you. Yes. So what, yeah. what's the, can you identify the difference between what you're like when you're writing fiction and what you're like when you're writing nonfiction? Hmm. Since for, you kind of were doing this both at once for a while. Yes. Yeah. Toggling back and forth. I think I, with nonfiction, I tend to start with an idea, mm -hmm. you know, um, and sometimes a story, like a, a story that, that I'm, that I want to tell you about, you know, um, for example, uh, I was writing an essay that, that I knew I wanted to tell this story about this woman, um, Annie Pearl, who um, was a friend of our families and someone who I didn't know until I was an adult. 
And I met this woman who was 85 years old, and, and she was fun, and I immediately fell in love with her because she could tell me all these stories about my dad that I didn't know. And, um, and she asked me for a fur coat, right? She's like, can you get me one of them fur coats in New York City? Because yeah, Andy Pearl lived in Ohio. And so I began this quest of thrift store shopping to find the perfect fur coat for Annie Pearl. And and that had happened years ago. And I, I wanted to tell that story because I thought it was an interesting story, uh-huh. what, me looking for this fur coat. Uh-huh. But in writing an essay, it isn't just about that story. So as I'm writing this story, I'm asking myself, why was this such a fascinating quest for me? Uh-huh. You know, what was going on here? Uh-huh. And... That thought process took me to thinking about what it was like to buy gifts for my mother mm. and the many times I've bought gifts for my mother. And, um, and my mom, you know, she will be on you about the gift. She'll be asking you three months later, what are you getting me for my birthday? <laughs> you know? and, wow. and, and she could even be like, um, she can be like Sally in, um, in Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, if it's too much trouble for you, just send money. How about 10s and 20s? <laughs> you know? And so um, that essay took me down that road of thinking about buying gifts for my mom and how I'm like, okay, this essay is about my mom and I'm going to be writing about some uncomfortable emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. So you never know where an essay mm-hmm. is going to take you. Mm-hmm. So um, you can't plot it out neatly like you can with, a, with um, fiction, even mm-hmm. though fiction has its own discovery process, right? That's going to change too. But with essay writing you have no idea where it's going to go yeah. you know you start with a curiosity right you know did you always want to be a writer you know i was always a writer but i didn't know one could be a writer okay let's put it that way okay um, because i've been writing ever since I, I was a child but i came from a home uh, where my dad didn't know how to read so um there was no concept of me of, of what that would be as a vocation you know so to me um, my thoughts were, how do I, you know, there were seven kids in our family, you know, there was no money. So my thoughts were to go to college and find some way to support myself. And I thought I was going to be a doctor. So um, even though I was writing the whole time, you know, I even had a, a portfolio of poems that, um, that the, my interviewer, when I applied to Harvard, I took them just to show them to him. Look, look, this is what I'm doing, but not to show him that I was a writer just because I was excited. He took those and sent them to Cambridge. And so I didn't know that one could be a writer and didn't even know how okay. to follow that path. So I was pre-med and really unhappy <laughs> for those first couple of years in college and, um, and doing terribly. And, um, but my junior year, there's, um, at, at Harvard, you take, there's a required expository writing class freshman year. But then there's another one uh, called, at, at the time it was called Expos 2, an introduction to rhetoric. And you could take that class, um, and a lot of students were like, why would you want, why would anyone want to take expos again? But um, it was fascinating to me just reading the description because you know, it was taught by a, a group of um, writers, but you got paired off with one particularly to be your mentor, and you had to write five pages a week. Hmm. And then you would sit with that mentor and go over that writing. And something told me, I just felt, I've always felt that even though I didn't know I was a writer, whenever I wrote, good things happened for me. So I felt that, okay, I just feel like if I wrote five pages a week, something's going to happen. And something did. You know, my, my teacher eventually said, what are you doing? Don't you realize you're good enough to get paid for this? Hmm. I was like, what? 
people get paid for this. How? Tell me. You know, and, and he eventually introduced me, um, got me to, to meet up with a recruiter from Time Magazine. And that's where I ended up going after graduation. So they hired me um, out of college as a reporter researcher. And I say, you know, raised me, raised me as a journalist. So I learned everything about writing and editing from, from being there for 15 years, uh, first at Time and then at People Magazine. Wow. Well, were you always a reader? Yes. Okay. Yes, voracious reader. You know, I'm still influenced by things I read when I was very young. I read Jane Eyre when I was very young. And uh, Jane is still, I'm going to be writing something about Jane soon, but, um, you know, still influences me. Um, Dickens, Austin, <laughs> you know, Louisa May Alcott, always a voracious reader. Um, so I think that also is what made me a writer, just by the fact okay. that I knew what good writing sounded like. I always had it in my ears. Okay. So that's the reason I asked you said your your dad didn't read. And I no. just thought, you know. But my mom always made sure there were books in the house. Okay. My mom, um, you know, um, would take us to the library and, you know, um, made sure that, that we read. Uh, what advice would you give to aspiring authors? Or more importantly, what traps do you think uh, aspiring authors fall into? They fall into the, the trap of thinking that there is only one way to be a writer in the world. Okay. And then they get frustrated when that, that particular way doesn't materialize for them. It's important to understand what you write and where the market is for it, and, and also who you want to be as a writer. You know, do you aspire to be a commercial fiction writer that's published by a New York City publishing house? If so, then you have to learn to write a certain way and be a certain way and market a certain way and to make those contacts. If you want to be you know, a literary writer and you don't mind you know, um, what size press and you're just wanting to get the work out there, understand that and you, you'll know, well, I don't need an agent. I can you know, go meet people at conferences and, and you know, get my books published this way. Um, but I found that the writers who are unhappy with the publishing process are the ones who went down a road wanting certain things, but they traveled a road that was in no way going to get them what they wanted. So you really have to understand who you are and what you want as a writer. How do you want to show up in the world as a writer? Well, now we get to the one question that is the most important oh, in the yes. whole interview. That's right. Which is, in the movie about you, who plays the role of you? <laughs> Living or dead? Any any actor, living or dead? Oh, okay. So you're you're wide open there. Any actor, living or dead? Well, I guess it's going to have to be my spiritual grandma. But it's going to be Lena Horn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lena, wow. Horn. Okay. Lena yeah. Horn's got to play me. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's written a beautiful essay yeah. on uh, meeting Lena Horn and uh, her spiritual grandmother, and then that leading to a, uh, an essay about her father. Yeah. I had a feeling it was going to be Lena. Yeah. Okay, it's yeah. a beautiful essay. Yeah. Well, good. We're going to have a good movie. Linda Horn's starring in it. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. This was a good conversation. I thank you, say. Paul. Yeah, thank you, Sopranos. Thank you, David. So that was our interview with Sophronia Scott. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Sophronia was just a real joy to talk to. I, I wish it could have gone on longer, but unfortunately, we were on a bit of a time constraint and had to cut things shorter than I would have liked. That being said... We're hoping to have Sophronia back on the program sometime in the future, perhaps to talk about her soon-to-be-released new novel, Unforgivable Love. If you'd like to learn more about Sophronia Scott, she can be found online at sophronia.com. Or why not give her a follow on Twitter, at Sophronia. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. 
Oh, and just in case you were wondering, you've been listening to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. Word After Word is a Daddy Elk production. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We can also be found online at wordafterwordpodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also contact the show via email at comments at wordafterwordpodcast.com. I can be found online at paulmatthewcar.com, and David can be found at david-hicks.com. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back really, really soon. That just leaves me to say on behalf of myself, Paul Matthew Carr, and David Hicks, until next time, just keep writing. program today we have a very special guest she is a novelist and short story writer and i'm reading the wrong introduction uh yes we haven't done this in a while well they don't know that out there yes they do because we didn't tell them <laughs> <laughs> okay let's start all over no no you okay. can edit this out in post okay. it's all good yeah.